Uh, good. So here's what was going to happen this morning real quick is I'm going to, I shared a word in Wichita last night and I'm going to share that. Jonathan asked me to share it here about 10, 15 minutes, share some Bible, share some word just for the year and for, for, for what I feel like God's working on us in. And then we're going to transition into just praying about, uh, what God's doing here in El Dorado, do some kind of recognizing of that a little bit of how, where we're headed. Cause it's really a new season here and we're excited about what God's doing. And, um, and then I'm going to kind of pray over some people and then just Jonathan's going to share a little bit of vision, and uh, we're going to get out of here probably early. So, um, but here's what we're going to start with is uh, just this, a word about faith. Um, I really want to do a double thing right here. I want to be pastoral and comforting to you, and I also want to be prophetic to you. And for those that are here and those that will watch later, uh, this is kind of an, an important thing. I, I think God's doing what I'm about to talk about all the time. Okay, sometimes preachers can act like God's just showed up doing it for the first time, and that's, I know that's not true, but there seems to be an intensifying of the Lord dealing with our faith. Last year, um, I don't know if you remember, I was in a prayer meeting up in Valley Center at a doctor's house, and the Lord gave me that quick little vision. I'm not sure if you've seen those pictures of 2019 on fire burning, and then 2020 was green as could be. And um, it was just a strange thing. It was, so, it was so real to me and visceral, I felt like I could hear the fire, the grass crackling, burning. And I knew that what was coming up in 2020 was a purifying, some more purifying stuff that was going to happen in our souls and our lives. And, and then 2020 felt like, it's not like it's not going to be, have trouble and have, we're always going to have trials, but that there was going to be a bit of a greener situation there. Well, what I think as I prayed about and gone through that and gone through it in my own life is that that was about our faith, about our faith, how the Lord's constantly kind of purifying our faith and getting it to a place where it can receive and relate with the Lord. Faith is obviously a big deal in the Bible. And so I want to talk about 2020 vision um, by resurrection faith. So being able to see by, and this is specific, resurrection faith. I felt like I heard the Lord say this phrase in my heart, I'm changing default positions of thinking and calibrating tongues of speaking to come into alignment with resurrection uh, creative faithing. And that's me making up a word, faithing. I had a lady ask me, is that misspelled? I'm like, no, I just made it up. So, but I think what the Lord's doing is he's trying to shift our default thinking. I think we too often in situations without thinking default to despair, we default to unbelief, we default to offended, offensiveness, those kind of things. You know what I mean? It's a, I do it. I know I'm the experiment. And I think the Lord's wanting to shift our default. The default is where you immediately automatically go. I think he's, want, he's shifting that and training us so we will think immediately faith and belief and rejoice and pray and those kind of things. And he's also calibrating our tongues, that our tongues would be cleansed of grumbling and speaking words of negativity and unbelief. And again, I've been so guilty of that, but he's calibrating our speaking, our thinking and our speaking so that we can cal be calibrated with this creative resurrection faithing. And so in Romans 4, 17, uh, Paul is making his case for the gospel. He's lifting that up out of the life of Abraham. And you remember there was Abram. Abram was Abraham's name till he was 99. He's called at 75 and he's taken out of Romans 4 multiple places. He's talking about the faith of Abraham. In the middle of that, there's one specific verse I want to lift up. Romans 4, 17. Paul writes, as it is written, I have made you, Abram, the father of Abraham, the father of many nations, in the presence of God in whom he believed. And then he describes who this God is. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's a 
striking phrase, really. Let me read it in the Amplified. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He was appointed our father, Abraham, in the sight of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and speaks of non-existence thing, existent things as though uh, they already are, or foretold and promised things as though they already existed. Yahweh is described here, our God, this is the, to me, the far reaches of the glory of what he does. I mean, he splits seas, he heals bodies, he delivers from demons, but he's the God who faces the thing that's the fear on the nation's death. He's the God who raises the dead and looks into nothingness and calls something that it is something when it's not even really there by sight. He's the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So Abram at 75, beginning called out of Haran to follow the Lord, had faith enough to obey the commands, which is great, and tried for the fulfillment of the promises of God. He had a faith because he left everything and went to the promised land and moved around. But you can see he's struggling because when a famine hits, Abram immediately goes down to Egypt. So he did believe God, but it was a mixture of faith and fear that was in him. He goes down there, and you know the story. He picks up a bunch of Egyptian stuff, even Hagar, and he begins to try 10 years later to fulfill the promise of God over his life, not waiting on God in faith. He moved and worked at it and produced Ishmael, as we know. The Lord lets him know that this is not where the inheritance is coming through and changes his name at 99 to Abraham. Abraham... Now, that same man but changed, as good as dead, as the Bible says, Abraham had faith that believed that dead things would live and non-existent things would manifest. He shifts from having a mixed faith, a faith that, yes, God, I'll follow you. It's right to follow you. It's right to believe your promises, but I'm going to help you out in fulfilling these. He shifts to a man who's powerless, circumcised at 99, he gets his name changed at 99, identity change, and suddenly he is this man that believes that God can resurrect the dead and call things that are not as though they are. So let me say a couple phrases to you and make this point. The womb that produces answers to the promises of God on earth is called, I believe, resurrection faith. I believe God wants to build. He's doing this in me. It's a painful, arduous I wish it was over sometimes process. <laughs> the Lord is just after my faith. My faith is what he's after. He's not after me being successful in ministry. It took me a long time to figure that out. <laughs> he's not after me uh, being just a great this or great that. He's after a faith that's got a purity about it. The Lord must, I believe, gut, cut out our mixed faith, cut out of our mixed faith, its weaknesses, which are rooted in the fear of death and a wrong estimate of the impossible. We're still ruled by fears, fear of death, fear of being alone, fear we're not going to make it, and we're ruled by sight. We don't see something that we believe God said, and we believe that's reality, and it's not genuine and true faith, I believe. Resurrection faith is the manifestation of one who's gone deep into the revelation of eternal life. Eternal life, what a phrase. I've been meditating that. Eternal life. Jesus came to give me eternal life. What that means is the plague on the human race that's death does not have to haunt me anymore. Hebrews chapter two, verse 14 and 15 will say, Jesus became flesh and blood. God took on a body that he let people kill so that he could destroy the one who held the power of death. 
and break us free who had been held slavery all our life to the fear of death. So this eternal life removes the veil of fear and blo that blocks our pure kingdom vision. So it took Abram, Ham, 100 years to get there. But when he was there, he, he, he gets the baby Isaac, and then 13 years later, when God says the, one of the craziest things said in the Bible, take your son and sacrifice him on a mountain. I mean, it's just startling, honestly. You think about it. It's not just the take your kid and sacrifice him. He's the gateway to the fulfillment of the promises of God. Kill the gateway to the fulfillment of the promises I've given to you. What's shocking about that passage is that Abraham never hesitates. You need to read it. It's in Genesis 22. This is Abraham who freaked out in a famine, went to Egypt. Abraham who took Hagar and made an Ishmael. This is that same guy, broken, seasoned. His faith has grown so much that when God says an audacious thing to him, a ridiculous thing, take your one and only son and sacrifice him on the mountain, which by the way, was a pre-picture of the gospel, how the father would sacrifice his one and only son. When he says that, Abraham, it says clearly in the text, immediately got the donkey, loaded up, got some wood, got his boy and said, we're going to the top of that mountain. No hesitation at all. He gets up there, still no hesitation, builds the altar. His son even says, dad, there's the sacrifice. There's the knife. Where, where is the sacrifice we're going to lay on that? And he said, God will provide. Jehovah Jireh, remember that? And he gets his son, ties him down, has the knife ready to plunge into his glorious promise fulfilled son because all the way he's radically trusting the Lord. The writer of Hebrews will tell us, which we don't get in Genesis, why Abraham was able to do that. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. It's through Isaac that I'm going to give you a number of family that's as the, like the stars of the sky. Remember, he had said that to him in Genesis 17. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, which figuratively he really did receive him back the, from the dead because he's about to kill Isaac. And then the, they say there's a ram in the thicket. And he switches that out, you remember, and he sacrifices the ram. But the reason that Abraham could walk unhesitatingly, if you will. No fear, no hesitation to the commands of God was he believed that if I kill him, God's going to raise him up from the dead right there. Now, what's amazing about that is Abraham had never seen the resurrection of the dead. Never. But his faith has reached such a height that he's like, even if what is most precious to me and the fulfillment of my heart is killed, God can raise it from the dead. I'm wondering how you're doing with this. I'm wondering how you're doing in your faith, do you have resurrection faith? Is your faith being dealt with? I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit loves you. He does not want you to be troubled by trials and pain and all the stuff you're going through. That's not his heart. He's not the originator of that. But I'll tell you, he is the orchestrator of using everything that's in your life to purify your faith. He wants your faith to be set free from the shackles of fear. He wants to purify it in a deep way. So, 2019 burning, I believe, was all about 2020 trusting. The 2019 trials, this is always true in our lives, not just in a calendar year, but the trials, the 2019 burning, fiery thing that we saw or felt was really about 
purifying and bringing about a green faith in our life. In 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, Peter will say to suffering saints, in this you rejoice, for though now for a little while it's necessary that you be grieved, it's okay that you feel grieved by these trials. Don't spend time in condemnation. I feel bad. I feel grieved about the trial. You can be that emotionally. But, but these happen. You can have vision. These happen so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perish, though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise, glory, and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. God purposely allows the turning up of the fire of the trials of life so that he can burn out the impurities in the mixture of our faith of fear and manipulation and all the things of control that we have. God is bringing us a place to surrender. The Lord does not panic when you are hemmed in between a Red Sea and an army that wants to kill you. He's delighted. Not that you're in trouble. He's delighted because he gets to show off his glory. He gets you to a place where you have no more options. That actually is one of the best places we can ever be. Does everybody know that? Have you ever had that happen in your life? You get backed into a corner, backed into a corner by circumstances. The whole time you're fighting, fighting, fighting until finally you go, and you let it go, and you begin to trust. And when you do it, something pure begins to happen in your life. I believe the Lord's, com Lord's committed to your, your faith being pure. He's committed to it. He's committed it more than you being successful, more than you being comfortable and having pleasure. He wants to get your faith from mixed place, manipulative, to a pure resurrection place that will believe God to do the impossible. So we're into prayer, and I believe this all my heart. We can pray all day and night, but if it's not faith-filled praying, we're going to receive nothing. There is a prayer that's just a religious prayer in unbelief, and we think God's going to hear us because we're praying a lot. And we're, we're a prayer people trying to stir it up everywhere in our larger family in the region and in the church and the city. But listen, there's a praying that misses the mark. James will say it. James is so deep in his revelation about prayer, but he'll say in James 1, but let him ask in faith, the one who's asking, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose or think that he's going to receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So what does this passage tell us? You know what it says? He's saying this, some people are going to show faith by praying. You're not praying if you don't have a measure of faith. Okay, and again, my pastoral side wants to say, don't freak out that you're not perfect in faith. I believe that. You know, we can say like the Father, I do believe, help my unbelief, and he's patient with us, but he's not gonna leave us where we are because what James will say is this, it's not enough just to do an activity of faith. You must genuinely have a heart culture of faith. You gotta be rooted deep in because he's saying you could actually pray while doubting. You can actually pray while robed in fear, not believing, knowing what God's gonna do. And he's saying, the Lord is committed. That's why the fires come. The fires are coming to burn out the dross of the mixture that's in our faith. And he's radically committed to that. The Holy Spirit, I believe, is working to produce fearless wombs of faith that birth forth the glory and the government of Christ on earth. Said this last night, I believe with all my heart, 30 seconds of faith-filled prayer is way better than 30 hours of religious praying where you're just begging and mad at God and yelling. And, you know, and again, he's saying, be real and come to me. But I'm telling you, it's faith-filled quality prayer that he wants, not 
religious spirit quantity prayer. And so we're, we're again, a people that want to see more and more prayer, but it's got to be filled with faith and God's committed to it. So why can 2020 be green? Or that's my metaphor for why can our faith be green? It's because we can grow in faith. We can begin to believe and have this purification of faith in our lives. Let me say just a couple more sentences. By an increase of prayer for us, we mean an increase of faith-filled intimacy and inheritance. We mean that we're believing God, especially when it looks like God's not moving at all. That we're believing God, yes, when we're on the other side of the sea and Miriam grabs a tambourine and we all start, start dancing. That, that's when you believe, oh, he just moved. Yes, I believe you. Thank you for breaking through. Love those moments. Don't you love those moments? But we also want to be the people that when we've traveled three days beyond the dance and there's no water, we're not grumbling and saying, God, did you bring us out here to kill us? Are you even really there? We're still believing with all our heart that God's going to resurrect and bring the water at the right time. He's going to fulfill his promise. I said, I'm going to get you to the promised land. I'm going to get you to the promised land. I don't know if you've ever thought about this and maybe you have the points been made. But one time Jesus was with the boys and he says, boys, get in the boat. Let's get in the boat. Let's go to the other side. You remember what happened? They get in the boat. They're going to the other side. And as they're going, one of the versions has him asleep in the boat. The storm is raging and professional fishermen are scared for their lives. These guys have rode some waves before. And they say, they wake Jesus up and say in one version, do you not even care do you not even care about us? We're in trouble right here. Jesus gets up and shows no real gentle compassion. Like, oh guys, I get it. It's okay to be afraid right now. He rebukes them and says, why are you in unbelief? Why are you afraid right now that we're not gonna get over there? Why was he so unrelenting? Why? I don't think it was because he just expected them to be, you know, looked at them for resource. I think he was shocked that they weren't resting on his words. Before they got in the boat, what did Jesus say? We're going to go to the other side. If Jesus says you're going to go to the other side, it doesn't matter if it comes hell or high water, pardon the metaphor, you're getting to the other side. If Jesus says it, and what he's, I think, frustrated with is not an emotional response to some big waves in a storm. I think he's okay if we feel some grief. But in the middle of the grief, we can go, this makes me uncomfortable, but you said it, so I'm anchoring my heart in what you say. If you say we're getting to the other side, we're getting to the other side. Does that make sense? I wonder what he said to you. I wonder how your faith is doing. I'm telling you that God is committed. He's committed radically to the renovation of your faith. He's committed to your faith being in a place that believes that if even something dies, he can raise that thing up. And he's committed to you having a faith that looks at something and goes, nothing's there, but God's word said it, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna act like it's there. I'm gonna walk like it's there. And pardon this illustration, then I'll end right here. But this is what happened multiple times in your Bible, but one of the clearest is the renaming of Abraham and Sarah. It really is. Abram means a prince or an exalted father. Abraham means the father of many. So when God changed Abraham's name, does everybody remember, that's pre him having a son. He's got Ishmael, one son, but he's not the inheritance son and has been sent away. It's, it's Isaac is going to be the... So when he changes his name, he tells Abraham and Sarah, and I love it. I heard somebody else use this illustration. I do it all the time. But it's like Sarah 
no longer said, Abram, exalted father, it's time for supper. She was yelling, Abraham, the father of many, father of many, come here. It's time to eat. It's time to do the chores. They were speaking by faith before it ever manifested. That's what we're doing right now, hopefully learning to do. I'm, I need to live in a body that's decaying, and that frustrates the heck out of me, by the way, but I need to live with the faith that I'm going to have a resurrected body forever. I'm a believer. I'm saved. I'm going to live forever, ruling and reigning. I don't care what my bank account says. I'm going to be rich in Christ forever. And so it takes something for you to begin to think like that, speak like that, before we get that. Does that make sense to everybody? And it's the only place of freedom. Right now, we're walking by faith and not by sight. Right now, we're walking by what God says, not by what we feel. And it takes, I'm telling you, the whole world, it's the easiest thing in the world to let circumstances and fears rule you emotionally. I know it. It's the natural default. I'm just going to give myself to you. The only thing that's real is what I see. Doesn't look good. I'm going to be down. It takes something. It takes the power of God for you to rise up and stand against the circumstances, to speak another reality, to think another reality, because God's word says it. And I tell you, heaven and earth are going to pass away. Heaven and earth are going to pass away, but God's words will never pass away. Never. And what he's raising up is a billion believers on planet earth that are proclaiming a different reality. We're saying to a whole world that says we're dying, it's death, it's whatever, we're saying, no, a savior has come. You can overcome death, you can overcome sin, and you can be rescued, and we are a prophetic sign to the nation. So, my encouragement to you, Vadavang, Jonathan, there you go, I did it, uh, is faith, faith. The Lord's working on your faith. I, I pray you show up for the class without grumbling. Show up for the class, feel the grief, feel the pain, feel the trial, but don't stop there. Go deep and go, this fire is for a purpose. I'm not burning without purpose. <laughs> I'm burning so that it can get something purified in me and I can have an overcoming faith that overcomes the world and explodes into the eternal realms. Father God, thank you in the name of Jesus for your word. Thank you for your working on our faith. We're under construction. There's yellow tape everywhere. <laughs> We're under construction but Lord, I thank you for your pers perseverant, persistent work in our lives, your patience with us. But I pray none of us come short of agreeing with you as you set an agenda to purify our faith. We want a faith that's more than just we'll do a little bit of obeying and a little bit of trying. We want to have faith that believes that you resurrect the dead and that things we don't see yet are already true and real because you've said it. Anchor us in your word in 2020 like we've never been anchored before. I pray for grace to look away from our pleasures and our pains at new levels because we're locked in on Christ. To live as Christ, to die as gain is the apostolic cry. And I pray that would really burn in our hearts. Thank you for those that are here today that have heard this. Thank you for those that will watch later. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray for El Dorado to be touched by a church that truly is living by radical faith. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.